Welcome to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland. We are back after shutting down for a little bit after the season was over. Obviously, the Cubs did not beat the Dodgers, and their title defense ended. And um, today we've got a great guest to talk about the offseason and the various moves the Cubs are going to make. Robert Mays, who is an NFL writer at TheRinger.com, great website. And he is a huge Cubs fan, and many of you may have seen him on Cubs Twitter, and we talked about a lot of stuff, Uh, the end of the season, potential offseason moves, the Cubs winning the World Series last year, and I did sneak in a football question at the end about my Rams. Hey, I got to stick up for my team. They actually are kind of good this year. So for all you Bears fans listening... Might have to deal with a little bit of that at the end, but mostly it's pretty good Cubs talk. So here is Robert Mays. Well, first of all, thank you for coming on my podcast. Absolutely. A pleasure to do it. I rarely get to talk about the Cubs at length, so yes. I'll take any opportunity to do so because it's a big part of my world privately, and I think that publicly I'm more just like a member of Cubs Twitter, which it's kind of a fun place to be as someone who writes about sports for a living. <laughs> so I, I don't mind it. I like just being a fan and uh, being able to kind of indulge it in this more detached, fun way. Yes. Yeah. It's a little bit different than being like a football writer. You got to be more objective when you're dealing with stuff. Yeah. You know, it's not even just the objectivity of it. It's, it's the, uh, the fact that it becomes a work in this strange way. And it was, interesting during the playoffs because so I was in Los Angeles actually taking a trip during the NLDS. So I wasn't home in Chicago for any of the games, but I was going to be back in Chicago for the NLCS. And my bosses at the ringer were like, would you like to cover the games at Wrigley? Like, what do you want a credential? I was like, no, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to cover it in that way. If I'm going to go, I'm going to go and be a fan. I mean, that's what I did during the playoffs last year. And, and I couldn't imagine having been in the press box working during game six of the NLCS. I would have hated it. I mean, the idea that, because you can't do anything, you can't react. I mean, you just have to compose yourself a certain way. And the last thing I wanted to be in that moment in that setting was composed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of my uh, other buddies that writes for um, Cubs Den that I talk to all the time, he was in the press box too. And he was like, yeah, it's very, he had to sit on his hands and it was like, a very awkward experience, but it's like, I'm in the booth, the press booth. So obviously I can't talk to these other people, but yeah, he was saying like, there's some moments where he had to sit on his hands and it was hard. I mean, I was very lucky. I mean, getting to those games, having to pay is probably not easy. I was very lucky that I have a friend who works for the team. So I got face value tickets and that's why I was able to go. I mean, that's a unique circumstance. So if you can't necessarily, if you don't have an in like that, and it's going to set you back to be able to get into the building. Being in the press box is a nice alternative. I just happen to be in the advantageous kind of fortunate situation where I can pay a hundred dollars and go to game six of the NLCS. So it's, it was a nice thing. If I didn't have that option, there's a chance I would mull over going and covering it, but it's a nice thing that I do. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll get into it's the off season now, but 
Cubs did win the NLDS against the Nationals. Kind of a, oh, it was a crazy series, uh, especially that last game. Oh, it was nuts. I, I mean, I it was funny because I was, I was again, I was in LA and we started watching the game at a bar, and eventually the person I was with was just like. I'm not feeling well. I have to go home. But we still managed to catch half the game after going back to the Airbnb. It was like a 12 hour game where 17 different things happened. I mean, you forget that they were down four to nothing. I mean, it seemed like it was over. And then the way that they got back into that game, it was nuts, but in the best possible way. Exactly. And it was like, and there are all these storylines like Dusty Baker managing against the Cubs and yep. the Nationals with a Cub style old school cup style meltdown in the middle of the game. And then you asked Wade Davis to pitch like two and a half innings. And you're like, is this really going to happen? Or, and then Wade couldn't pitch when they played the Dodgers in game one. It was just like all these cascading effects of these bizarre Joe Madden decisions, which, you know, whatever. Yeah. It, uh, the guy won a world series. He's a very good manager. It's just, apparently he seems to short circuit right now. It's like his wires stop working in the playoffs. Just why are we doing this, Joe? I understand he couldn't, he really didn't have the ability to lean on any other pitchers, but it's still like, Joe, like, well, why are we doing this? Why, why, you've never done this all year. Why are we doing this now? Yeah, it's like, you know, I know Brian Dunsing doesn't have much left, but going to John Lackey in game two, I mean, how was oh, that going to end? I mean, oh my God. I, as soon as he trotted out there, I, I just, he, John Lackey is like my boogeyman. Like you ever seen John wick and like the way they talk about him. That's how I talk about John Lack. Yes. Like I just, I know that eventually he's going to come for me and he's going to kill me. And it's just the sight of him. It just makes my stomach churn. And I'm so glad I will never have to do it again. Yes. Well, I guess that leads us into the off season discussion where that everyone's having now, of course I'm thinking Lackey's gone. I'm with you. I think that's probably the end of that chapter and yeah i mean because he's not again he doesn't want to come out of the bullpen and there's no way they're gonna let him start again i mean the guy no. gave up a home run like every 12 at bats this year <laughs> it yes. didn't go well no it did not um and then of course arietta jake arietta probably gone i mean unless he takes a big discount but i, I don't think that's probably going to happen it feels like he's more valuable to another franchise than he'd be he'd be the cubs right now i think that you know, when you watch a guy every single day, you kind of understand his warts and you understand really the ins and outs of who he is as a player at this point. And I know that Arias numbers were fine over the course of the year. He had that nice second half, but there's no way if you're the Cubs right now, I think you want to devote the type of money you'd have to, to keep a guy who's on the wrong side of 32, right? Isn't he 32? He's about to turn 32. So, I mean, yeah, he'll be 32 next season. I mean, how much money, how many years is the big thing? I just don't feel like that's where they're going to go with their resources that they have. And they clearly need with, I mean, they have a decent amount of money to work with, but they clearly need at least one starter with that cash and then maybe a couple of bullpen arms. So it's just one of those things where there isn't that much to go around where you could consider, you know, reasonably keeping area. I just don't see it happening. Yeah. And yet in, you know, Scott Boris is his agent and you know, he's not going to give a discount for one of, his client. So yeah, I, I don't think it's going to happen. And this is a chance for Jake area to cash in. Like, I mean, good for you, Jake area. I mean, the guy was absolutely phenomenal for a season and a half. I mean, maybe even more than that. I mean, but this, his second half in 2015, I mean, it was like watching Bob Gibson pitch. I'll never forget that. And I, I think that as a Cubs fan, you know, he gave us so many incredible moments, but so good for him, but you know, go make 25 million a year, set yourself up. Yeah. 
I kind of felt the same way about Dexter Fowler last season. I didn't like he went to the Cardinals, but I was like, yeah, Dexter, you know, you did a lot of great stuff. Get, get your money. Yeah, exactly. That's the exact same way. I, I do not begrudge Jake Arietta whatsoever. All right. So another factor that we've got going into the offseason, of course, is the bullpen, which obviously, as we've talked about a little bit, did not look very good at the end of the year. And the big debate now is bring back Wade Davis, let Wade Davis go. What do you think? I, Wade Davis was fantastic for almost the entire season. I know his performances in the playoffs weren't exactly what you'd like when you're trying to shut the door on games, but the guy, you have a guy in your building that you know that is a quality closer. And it's not as if they're one bullpen piece away, so they're trying to maybe figure out if there's a different way to go there, everything else. There's so much uncertainty with who's going to pitch from the sixth inning on that it feels like if you know you have this guy, I, then maybe you just stick with it. And I understand the money is going to be problematic, but I just feel like it's not as, you know, the area of money is just kind of nowhere near realistic. I feel like the way Davis money could be. And that's my thought. Yeah, that's how I feel too. I, I wrote one of my articles I wrote was that I think they should keep Wade Davis. Like, obviously there's problems. He, he's older and he did have a couple arm issues in 2016 for the Royals, but that's the, that's the thing, right? I mean, like, it's not as if he's just getting older. So he's never been able to stay healthy. And last year is kind of the exception. So the fact that you're throwing that kind of money at a guy who's never been able to stay on the field and he's kind of getting up there, that's where you get a little bit worried. I think in two, getting 2017 Wade Davis for the next couple of years is fine with me, but we have no real reason to believe that that's going to be the guy you get for the next three seasons. Exactly. But of course the other options for bullpen for closers and stuff that are out there aren't that great either. So I tend to lean towards keeping Davis, but I would understand if the front office didn't. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, but I think the whole thing uh, was the whole thing about the, the bullpen here. And just like the idea of the pitching in general is that you can look at the free agent pool and say, well, they can throw this much money at this person, but the Cubs have trades to make. I mean, if you look at just the way that the lineup can kind of sit with the players currently on the roster, I mean, they have quality guys that they'll be able to deal for pitching help. And I think they should just in order to get the right people in the lineup, if not every day, then something close to it. Yeah, no, that, that is a good point. And of course there's like, I was a huge Solaire fan, but I think everyone can agree that that trade for Wade Davis worked out pretty well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was huge. And, and I think that, you know, I don't know if there's a trade out there to be made like that, but I think those are the types of deals you have to be willing to make. So let's just think about this from a practical perspective, right? So Hayward's going to play right field. Like mm-hmm. you pay, you're paying the guy, whatever you're paying him. Like that's going to happen. It's just a matter of, you know, it's pragmatism. He's going to play based on what he makes. I assume next year that you're just going to put, you're going to make on more of your everyday center fielder. He's playing too so, yeah. well. To, to not do that. And then left becomes the question, right? So mm-hmm. you stick Schwarber back in there. I think the answer is probably yes. Like Theo Epstein loves Kyle Schwarber more than I love like my mom. Yeah. So it, it, the, the idea of him trading Schwarber, even to an AL team that could use him still doesn't make sense to me. Also you're selling low on him. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's no reason to do that. So if you put all those, those that's your outfield. And then you have to figure out what the infield is going to look like because 
it just seems like the two guys that are the most expendable are probably Baez and Russell Mm -hmm. just because you could put Hap at second base and be totally fine. And I think that the way Hap is hitting and hit last year, it's going to be hard to keep him off the field. So it just seems like one of those two middle infielders is the guy that probably would go. And then the question is, what can you get for him? That's the way that I see it. There's a chance that it's a totally out there from, I was going to say from left field trade, but that's a terrible thing to say on a baseball show. So I mean, there's a, there, maybe there's a weird trade somewhere that can happen. I just, I, that's the way I think it makes the most sense to me is like, maybe you deal Russell for pitching and you use Pobias at short and habit second. Like that is a very good baseball team. So yes. And that's it. I, you know, I've kind of swung on this issue pretty good. Cause I, if you'd asked me this, like even like last year, I would have said, you know, I'd trade Baez and keep Russell. But now I've swung hard on that, and I'm with you. I would keep Baez and maybe move Russell because Baez is just so good defensively, and I just you, – you can't – you're almost like you're terrified to let him go. Yeah, I would be too. And I mean, it's, it's really tough, man, because Russell's so good defensively too. And I think that from a huge portion of last season before he got hurt – he was the best defensive shortstop in the league, according to like. He was the best defensive shortstop in the league, according to like a lot of metrics. So it's just like, it's a difficult thing, and I feel like the issues you have with Baez are the same issues you've had for the last couple of years. He swings at stuff he shouldn't. He's not very disciplined. I mean, that's a problem. If you need a hit in a big situation, it's really hard to count on him, and that kind of stuff remains. But he's also still fairly young, and also. Watching baseball without Javi Baez would be far less fun for me. So this is just, you know, outside of the realm of reality, this is now my own personal feelings. And it's just like, God, I don't want to trade Javi Baez. It makes so, it, I just enjoy it so much. Yeah, exactly. Because like with Baez, it's like maybe he will never like fully reach his potential or he could be the greatest baseball player you've ever seen. And it's like, exactly. just, if he goes and he becomes the greatest baseball player you've ever seen, how can you live with that? And then there's so much talent there. And again, he still is very young, but this, you could say the same thing about Russell. Russell's 23, but I think the issue with Russell is that everybody expected last year to be the one where it's just like, okay, this guy, huge jump. This is the year where he becomes like a top of the league sort of star. And it just didn't happen. And I know he was hurt for a good portion of the season, but he wasn't hurt for enough games where you can say an injury is the reason this took place because he just wasn't playing well before he got hurt. So that's my issue is that Russell kind of regressed a little bit last year. So even if you said a year ago, it'd kind of be unthinkable to trade him. But now it doesn't seem like it would be a less prudent move than dealing bias. It really yes. doesn't. And, you know, bias, I would say bias is my favorite player, most excited to watch, but I have to admit that my favorite player to watch is, um, Wilson Contreras. Um, that's it's, it's between those two guys and the way that Contreras was playing that, Diamondbacks game where they came back and won and what Contreras did in that game. That was the moment it was just like, ah, I'm in love. I love him so much. This is all I want in the world. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that was kind of the, my least two guys got hurt at the worst possible time. And Contreras was worse. He was out for longer. I mean, that game to be hurt right after that, when he was literally engulfed in flames was just terrible timing. And then the same thing happened with Arietta a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was pitching so incredibly well when he tweaked the hamstring. It's like, man, they just cannot catch a break with like when these guys are going down this year. And it just, it all kind of snowballed into this collection of misfortune that really 
hamstrung them at the wrong time. Yes. In more ways than one. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I guess I'll move on now to, um, you know, the Cubs did win the World Series last year. They did. We're, we're, we sound so down, but we're a year removed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, people, the common theme on Twitter is, you know, people forget that. Yeah, you, you, people forget the Cubs won the World Series. I, I'll be honest with you. I kind of do too sometimes because that's just my natural default setting as a sports fan. Like watching games this year, it was no less heartbreaking when they mm-hmm. lose. I mean, it doesn't, I don't care about the good things that have happened. I only care about the pain. Yes. But um, anyway, um, so you wrote the, a great article last year after they won about being in Wrigleyville when the Cubs won the World Series and just like the atmosphere. And as that, I'd ask you a little bit about that. I mean, it was an incredible just couple days. I mean, I'll, I'll never, ever forget it texted my boss who was Bill Simmons. And I said, I just want to let you know, I'm not coming tomorrow. <laughs> like, you guys do whatever you want to do. I, I'm not getting on that airplane. So I'll either see you the next morning or, you know, we'll figure it out later. Mm-hmm. So they said, okay, I changed my flight and we all kind of planned to watch game seven at my buddy's house, which is on Cornelia Avenue, just off of Clark in Wrigleyville. So it's, right by HVAC pizza place and right like near sluggers. So a lot of my friends are consultants. So they were in the same situation except they had already left town. So I had like three or four friends book flights that morning to fly home. So we all kind of get up there maybe an hour and a half before the game or so. And my buddy that lives there isn't even back yet. So people just kept filtering in from O'Hare. They did come straight from the airport to his apartment. And by the time we all got there, there were about 30 of us. And it was just an unbelievable environment to watch the game. I mean, just living and dying with every moment and just kind of the, the setting of being there with all my friends and just how huge it was, just the magnitude of every single pitch. And then when they won, we just kind of spilled out. I mean, obviously the game was the game. It's one of the best baseball games ever. And we spilled out into the street and, just walking down Eddie, which is the street right off Clark and just people standing on garbage cans and just drinking champagne. And, you know, they walked on to Clark street and he just kind of started slowly moving toward Wrigley. And it was kind of like a, it was like when I've seen rage against the machine or something where like you can't even control your own movements because of how many people there are, how packed in it was. And I can't remember what the billboard said. It was the Lester billboard the Nike one. And it was something like, you know, something about next year, not being next year. I can't remember the exact wording. And it was just such a surreal thing to be looking right at that billboard as I was walking down Clark street. And it just said the Chicago Cubs world series champions on the, mm-hmm. on the lights. And uh, I'll never forget it. I, I, we were there for a little while, kind of died down. I got back into my buddy's apartment and I had to start writing mm-hmm. and everyone there is so drunk. (laughs) One of my buddies was crawling under my feet as I'm trying to write, like there's a video of it. I'm obviously not because I'm working and and we just had such a good time. My brother didn't watch with us. He watched at the bar next, like right next door to the the apartment. And he was realizing that there was like a $60 cover, but the only mark to get in the bar was just a black H on your hand with a Sharpie. So he found a Sharpie and wrote H on his hand and snuck in. It's pretty good. And, uh, which I, that's good, pretty good, uh, pretty savvy, my little brother. 
and then when he got back, he got into the apartment eventually and just kind of being with him after that moment. And, you know, my, my dad died in 2009 and we were just, you know, we were very, very close and we love the Cubs. I mean, it's one of the things we talk about and just mm-hmm. kind of the, the ghosts that you could feel all that entire day and the ghosts that you could feel exercise and some of the ones you didn't, you know, some of the ones that you wanted to kind of sit with in that moment. I think that all of those factors were just made for a beautiful night. I mean, one that is one of the best of my entire life. I will never, ever forget a single bit of what it was. Yeah. And that's, you know, I kind of have a similar thing. Cause my, um, my grandfather got our entire family. He was like the biggest Cubs fan ever. And he got yeah. my entire family and he also died in like 2009. And it really hit me during when they won the pennant. Yeah. Me too. I just started crying. Me too. Cause I was thinking of my grandfather and I was just like, yeah, it just hit me. And it was like, yeah. So it, yeah. But then like when they won the world series, I was actually just kind of in shock. I didn't really, not even emotion. I on the floor. Yeah. I, mean, I, I literally just collapsed on the floor and started sobbing. Like it was, I, I was sitting on the couch. I was like on the edge spot of the couch. So the long ottoman laying there most of the game, like curled up in a ball. And after that, I just rolled onto the floor and started crying. I mean, it, it was almost, it was overwhelming. I mean, it just like, cause it all rushed to you at the, at the same moment. And I think I said, it was funny when I wrote what I wrote, there was Brian hit like a foul ball on the seventh inning when they were winning. And that's when I was just like, the Cubs could win the world series. My dad isn't here. Mm-hmm. Like it was the weirdest kind of throwaway moment that, that brought it on. But then when it did, it kind of built, it started building for like the last three innings. It was, it was something, man. I mean, it's again, it's something that I, how can you ever forget it? I mean, and not even just the, the night in general, but every single detail about it. Yeah. Well, it was kind of funny too, that there was like, and when they gave up the lead or gave up the lead in the eighth inning, there was this kind of like collective, like, here we go again. Yeah. It, it's coming. <laughs> here we go. We're just like always. And I know me and my brother exchanged some texts where my brother said some not nice things about Joe Madden. <laughs> some, <laughs> some girl, that's good way to put it, I'm sure. And, but yeah, and it was kind of one of those things. It was like, and then like, I was at that point, I got into my, you know, negative mode. I'm just like, all right, just end it. Indians. Just hit a walk off. Let's get it over with. Put me out of my misery, right? Yeah. And, and Jason Kipnis hit that foul ball. I'll never forget. Oh my God. I thought it was way gone. And it was like, yeah, it's like, okay, here we go. Here it is. Oh, I forgot about that. That, that is like such a terrifying moment. I, I don't even think about that anymore, but in that moment, I was just like, my heart broke. I absolutely thought it was gone. Mm Mm-hmm. And then like, and then everything that happened, happened. And it was, uh, it was just kind of shocking because it wasn't what, like, this isn't what the Cubs do. They don't get, they don't blow the lead and then come back and win at the end. That's not right. And it just kind of stunned you, but yeah, it was amazing. Where did you watch the game? Uh, I watched it at my house. Okay. And I, you know, then the rain delay hit and it was already like 10 o'clock and I, there's dinner ready. And like, I'm like, well, should I make, the, should I eat? I didn't really have much of an appetite, but I'm like, who knows how long the game will go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if the rain is two hours, you're sitting there, the food's getting cold. Oh, that's funny. So I went to eat and then of course the rain delay only took like 15 minutes. So it's like yeah. immediately back. And I just, I just shoved the food away and I sat at my kitchen table 
and just watch the last inning like work oh, its way out. And, so you were just talking to your brother for most of the game? Yeah, most of it, yeah. And my oh, mom and dad cool. were around too. It was like a family. But yeah, it was – and we were all just stunned then. It took like an hour for it to really sink in. Yeah. I mean, I think it for me it was – I mean, I won't – so I, it was funny because I had to write – and then, you know, Wrigleyville was such a mess. And I probably got done writing at about maybe 2 a.m., maybe 2.30. Mm-hmm. And I went back with my friend Joe, and we went, got down, like, just sort of drove home. And uh, I had to get on a plane the next morning because I had skipped it. So in order to get where I was going for the videotaping that we were doing, I had to leave on, like, a 7.30 flight. Maybe even earlier than that. Maybe it's 6.30. Mm-hmm. So I didn't sleep, really. And so I went to the airport. And I'm just saying to myself as I'm walking through O'Hare, just like to myself, but out loud over and over again, the Cubs won the World Series. Like it just all that next day, I just was saying it to myself. And it was just, it was amazing. And I, so that night, so I didn't really get to enjoy it at all. And then I get, I don't sleep. I go do work in LA at the office. And then that night, Wednesday night's like the big night at the bar in LA where I was just to go. So I just went and just got obscenely drunk. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is the, this is me celebrating now. Like I finally have a chance after having to work and not get any sleep. So the next morning I, uh, I was very late to the office, but I, no one cared. They all understood. <laughs> they were surprised I got there in the first place. So yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I usually ask this question close to the end. My final question before I do my thing where I, I plug all your stuff, but um, uh, did, when you were a kid, did you have a, favorite Cubs player. Of Somebody. course. Oh my God. I loved Mark Grace. I just absolutely loved Mark Grace. Like Mark Grace was just like a baseball player's baseball player, but I black and just the stance and it, it's chew and like everything about Mark Grace. Just, I remember like the, the, his glove was like a light Brown. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, he was just a baseball player. Like to, in my mind, Mark Grace was a baseball player. That's what it was. He was also fantastic. Like Mark Grace is a career 300 hitter. And I always loved him. And I'll never forget is, so we, I, I worked at the Boston Globe right out of college and I was an intern there and I covered the Red Sox a lot that summer. Cause that's what the interns mostly do. And they had an interleague series at the Diamondbacks for Mark Grace ended his career. And he's also the color guy on their base on their TV broadcast. So I'm in the press box at Fenway and Mark Grace walks by and I am a professional sports writer and I have been for a long time now. I did not get starstruck. Like I, I covered the NBA finals like two weeks earlier and Mark Grace walked by and I just lost it like a little girl. Like, <laughs> it is the most unprofessional I have ever been in like a sports writing context. I, it was so embarrassing, but in, at the same time, like what was I supposed to do? Like, it's just this guy who was this towering figure in my childhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great. Like I, that is another just awesome moment. It's like, Oh man, that's really lets you, it gives you a window into how much I love the Cubs when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, no, Mark Grace is a pretty good choice because, yeah, you know, most hits in the 1990s for any player. I'm telling you, man. And he, that was so funny. Like, I, how many, what's the most home runs Mark Grace has ever, ever hit in a season? It, it was like 20, 20, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so the fact that, like, he was just this kind of hit for average kind of guy, like, I just, I don't know. I loved his game. I, I really did. And he was just always so fun to me. So, yeah, he, the most home runs he ever hit in a season was 17. Okay. That is just fantastic. Yes. He had 51 doubles in 1995. No, he was great. Pretty darn good. Yeah. And I have a, like when I was a little kid, my first favorite player was Rick Wilkins. 
And I don't know many Rick people. Wilkins. Yeah. I don't even know many I remember, people. I mean, I remember, I remember Rick Wilkins. Yeah. He had 30 home runs oh, one year. That's right. That's right. And you know what? It was the year before the, uh, the Ken Griffey Jr. Major League Baseball game came out on N64 because Rick Wilkins was amazing in that game Yes, because he hit 30 home runs the year before. That's my, my Rick Wilkins context is Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball for SNES. Yes. And that was – it's someone like – even like last year I said something about like Rick Wilkins. And someone was like, you know, he was on steroids. And I was like, how dare you? <laughs> he probably was on steroids, but you don't say that to me. No, you don't. No, you don't besmirch Rick Wilkins in my presence, sir. That's you right. Know, you know, it's, like, it's like talking bad about Superman. It's not cool. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's funny. All right. Well, I'll finish on this. Uh, for those of you, those who don't know, you're a writer on the ringer.com about the NFL. Yes, sir. Great articles. I just read your Thank one you about Jalen Ramsey. Really good. Thank you. That was a fun one to write. Um, anyway, you know, so I'm going to go out on a token NFL question. And most sure, sounds good. Most of my listeners are Bears fans. Gotcha. But as am I. I am not a Bears fan, and this is my podcast. And I'm going to ask about. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to ask about my favorite team, the LA Rams. Oh man! Yes. Ah, uh, you're a lucky man right now. Well, first time in a long time. <laughs> I know, absolutely. But I mean, they're fun. What do you want to know? What do you want to talk about? All right. How good should I feel about Sean McVay? Because I'm Probably. really excited on Sean McVay right now. You, you should feel as good as you could possibly feel. I mean, there is no reason to temper your excitement about Sean McVay. I feel like what this team looks like top to bottom is just remarkable. I mean, should, Jared Goff is one of the worst quarterbacks ever, you know, by you know, normal statistical measures in his seven starts as a rookie. There's no sugarcoating that. He's not an MVP candidate. It took a year. You know, they have the 11th ranked offense in the league, according to a lot of advanced metrics. Their scoring numbers are even better than that. I, I feel like the design of the offense is incredible, how he's been able to incorporate all the new personnel, the way he's kind of helped golf with all the play action that they use. I mean, it just everything about the way the offense is constructed and what they wanted from it is unbelievably impressive. I mean, he's one of my favorite play designers now, too. I mean, some of the stuff he does is just so creative and cool and uh, he just really seems to care about the game i mean in every single minute detail about it and i feel like one of the underrated things about him and that team this year is a 31 year old head coach and instead of being like puffing out his chest and saying i'm a head coach this is my team he went out and got wade phillips to be his defensive coordinator and i just think that says so much about his self-awareness and bringing in a guy who's seen everything under the sun in the nfl to be your counterpart, your counterpart on that staff. It just shows an incredible amount of just savvy and, 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 and uh, the type of stuff you'd want from your head coach. I mean, I, I just think that they are an incredibly fun team to watch and the job he's done this year. There's no overstating how good it is. Cause a lot of people at are golf and like, I watched all those games, except I did bail out on the one Falcons game when it got to be like 30 to nothing. Oh, that was yeah, I watched all those games and I went, I went, um, you know, I think Goff, I don't know if Goff's good, but I want to see him with a different coach. Absolutely. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how bad Fisher was or wasn't, but I just want to see it. Maybe Fisher was worse than I thought because the turnaround has just been amazing. It's kind of what I'm thinking about Trubisky right now. He just, and Dowell Loggins is a better and more experienced offensive coordinator than 
Rob Boris, who was the guy in with the Rams last year. I mean, the guy was a tight ends coach that they promoted for no reason. I mean, Dow Loggins has been a coordinator in the league for a while, but I still just feel like a staff kind of built on a more creative energy, the same way that the Rams staff is, is what you want for a young quarterback. And I think we've seen that around the league. I mean, what the Eagles have done with once what golf has done with the Rams. I think that that kind of staff where they're like, all right, let's scheme every single way we can help this pillar of our franchise be the player we need him to be. And I think that that's exactly what's happened with the Rams. And I hope that's what's happened. I hope that happens with the bears. Yes. I'm sure most of my listeners would agree. They hope that's the path. that I'm still on the Trubisky train, man. I think he can be good. He's very talented. I just want to see him with a real NFL team. I mean, like, I, I, don't, I won't get it on the, on the bears here. I already complain about it too much, but <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This is very fun. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We will have a new episode soon.